Matt, as promised, it is time to talk about the Modrons. It is only logical. Do you have a hankering for ultimate order? Then grab your pocket watch and slide rule as we deep dive into the lore of the Modron, Scions of Law. That's how we roll. 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 Welcome to the Goblin's Corner. My name is Eric. And I'm Matt. And tonight, we're talking about Modrons. That's right. Last week, we did a delightful episode on Slod, our happy froggy friends. Indeed. And tonight, we're going to talk about the interesting clockwork creatures of Mechanus, the Modron, Scions of Primus, yep. that don't really get a lot of love in not only the books, but also gameplay. Which is a shame, because if you've ever seen the artwork for them, the artists obviously loved them. Super cool artwork. Yeah. yeah. So tonight we'll talk a little bit about the lore, we'll give you some stats, briefly go over all of the many different types of Modron, we'll give you some story options, and a whole lot more. And so to remain on theme, we will attempt our very best to have an orderly episode with a minimum amount of chaos. Yeah, we'll see how that works out for us. And if you haven't yet, hit the like and subscribe button. Help us get our show out to more people and get notified when more awesome episodes come your way. And hey, if you're listening to the show, give us a review on iTunes or Podchaser. It helps out. It is the only logical, lawful method. <laughs> sure thing. So Matt, why are we talking about Modron tonight? Firstly, and obviously, we just did slot. We did in fact do slot. And in the slot episode, we specifically stated we would be doing Modron next. And we are men of our word, and thus... Tonight, we have Modrons. Also, we've found when we generally do creature episodes, we usually try to pair them up. Yes. And we, there's just way too much going on with both Modrons and Slot, and you'll find out tonight why, because there's a fuck ton of Modrons. I mean, there really is a lot of Modrons. Yeah. They do a lot of different things, very specialized. And Turns so, out there's a whole plane full of- A whole damn plane full of Modrons. So we just decided to go ahead and split these up. They have an interesting history- not really much in the actual mechanics of the books, aside right. from like abilities, but the novels, a lot of the modules allude to them. I do like the fact that uh, in some ways, even though incredibly orderly, they're also somewhat unscrutable. Yeah, there's a lot more unanswered questions with Modrons than you would expect, which is fun. And like Slod... They can be both beneficial and detrimental to your players. Absolutely. And lastly, because robots are fun. Sure. We like robots and constructs of all types. Yep. So that's what it is. So let's dive into a little bit of Modron lore. Uh, first off, the Modrons came about in first edition, and they've basically more or less stayed much the same in every single edition up to fifth. Let's, uh, let's do some definitions. Okay. What's the definition of a Modron, Matt? Modrons are a species of geometric constructs based on the plane of ultimate law mechanics. Mm -hmm. They were created by the entity slash god, what? Primus. Over computer. <laughs> right. Overlord. Comp I see like a server rack. Sure. I mean, it'd be a, a whatever, mobile right? server rack. Yeah, yeah that'd be kind of cool. And they are its expression of ultimate order. Yes, it is the will and expression made physical, which is kind of cool. There are two categories of Modron. You have uh, the base Modrons, and then you have the Hierarchs. And there's a total of, overall, 14 different types of Modron, 14 casts. Sure. So, on to the base Modrons. What do we got? You've got Monodrones, Duodrones, Tridrones, Quadrones, and Pentadrones. Yep. One, two, three, four, five. Yeah. Just like the combination on my luggage. <laughs> now, for Hierarchs, there's a lot more of them, and I, I believe there are nine, if I recall. They're much more varied, they're specific, and they often consist of exact numbers. So, for example, uh, Decatons, there's only 100 of them in the entire plane, whereas there's only four Secundi, sure. which is kind of neat. Yeah. In appearance, Modrons are varied according to their rank in Modron society. Most commonly, they're simple geometric shapes, and as they get more powerful, they get more complex. So, for example, like a Monodrone is basically a little sphere sure it's got like an eye and a mouth yep nubby little wings right whereas a pentadrone looks like a big ass starfish and yep. it's got five eyes and mouths all and of them frowning at you yes 
and the eyes and mouths are on each of its appendages versus being centralized, as you would expect with a modern drone, which is spherical. Yes. Now, it should be noted that the artist interpretations over the years of Modrons kind of changes a bit. Yeah. So in the beginning, like with first edition, they kind of made them a little more humanoid looking. And then uh, later editions made them much more construct and gear like. I personally prefer that look, but DMs use whatever you want, right? Yeah. In fact, I believe the Duo drone went from looking like a two by four with eyes to looking like a stack of boxes. It looks kind of like an accordion. Yeah. It's got like a little, little, oh. little mashy thing in the center. I don't know what that's called either. I know exactly what you're talking about. The little pleated surface. Yeah, folks, if you know what the hell that is, hit us up at Goblin's Corner on Twitter. Please tell us the answer because I don't remember what that name is. I don't know that I've ever known. There you go. Let's talk a little bit about some lore. Okay. Now, we know they're created by Primus. Sure. So who is Primus, Matt? Primus is the being of ultimate law. Yes. That's important because while he might be a god, he existed before everything for the most part. Yeah. Just just before. There was only order and chaos. That mm-hmm. was it. And they were bashing heads again way before the Blood War, folks. Indeed. They're generally depicted as constructs, but some books also had them to be kind of both mechanical and biological, so they had parts of both. Yeah, like cyborgy. Yeah, kind of cyborgy. Uh, some of them referred to them as insect-like. Some of them referred to them as very humanoid. And in fact, some of the hierarchs like Secundi and stuff look basically like humanoids. Yeah. Now, for for me, and I think for you to some extent, uh, I prefer a clockwork, constructy sort of feel and flavor to Newtonian physics given form. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I like that idea as well. Of course, you're free to make them look like whatever fits your story. Sure. And I would say, you know, mix it up. One of the interesting things about the lore with Modrons is if an upper Modron dies, one of the lower ranks is immediately promoted. And in my head, I hear kind of like a ding, ding, you're a winner. And it just kind of rapidly ascends to the next level. It makes me wonder how that's coded in, right? Like, is it just the one that's closest? Or is it the one that's closest to like Primus at the time one of them dies, right? Like, what what causes <laughs> what causes the uh, the fireworks and stuff to go off over one of their heads? Yeah, you hear the little da na 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 little Triforce sound, mm-hmm. and it just all of a sudden upgrades, upgrade complete, and this looks around with a newfound understanding of the universe. <laughs> That'd be kind of cool, right? It would be cool. It would also explain why the base model is spherical because it's got all those upgrades built in. Oh, very nice. Yeah, I didn't think about that. That's kind of cool. Now, Modrons have been captured and employed as guards in the past by various different types of wizards and people because of their abilities. They can truce. Yeah, they they make great guards. Yeah, absolutely. And I would also say, in terms of lore, it would be interesting in your game world, DMs, these are spirits. Right, just like slod, just like demons and angels and so forth. Yeah. There's nothing to say you can't summon one of these things to perform a task, which it will unerringly do to the letter of the contract. Yep, to be kind of cool, right? Planner binding could be a lot of fun. That could be a lot of fun. Uh, one interesting thing we read up on, and again, this is game dependent, probably book dependent as well. But Modrons required regular intake of a unique form of psychomorphic energy. Yeah, it had the consistency of like a thick jelly or a honey, and it emitted a faint inner light. In my head, I kind of see some petroleum jelly that glows. I was thinking of, what's the space honey from uh, Futurama called? Oh, <laughs> yeah. That would, uh, like, a, like a royal jelly type thing? Yeah. That'd be kind of cool. Yeah. It was harvested by monodrones and stored in a large pool in Regulus, which is a section in Mechanus. Right. And Modrons had to intake this substance every few weeks or else they would begin to degrade. Degraded Modrons are dangerous. Yes, because they could go rogue. Yes, not not just physical degradation. That's the least of your worries. Now, one final awesome thing about Modrons is what, Matt? The Great March. Now, let's talk about the Great Modron Marks for a brief second. Okay. Once every 289 years. Very specific. Because. Why not? 
the Modrons do a walk around the Great Ring. And there's a lot of theories as to why. And some people say, we say people like in the game, some scholars decide that, well, it's because they're doing like a uh, perimeter search, right? Testing defenses and stuff. Others say it could be some kind of unscrutable purpose that Primus has. Some people say it's a form of census. Like there's all sorts of, they're all wild ass guesses. Again, more unanswered questions than there are answered questions. They're delightful regardless. What we do know is nothing stops the Modron March. Yes. And in your game, it should be a monumental, ridiculous event. Because it's just thousands and thousands of just marching in an exactly straight line through buildings, mountains, whatever the hell is in. There's a Tarsk in front of it. Doesn't care. They'll uh, nope. fight their way through till they die. They will murder a Tarsk. They don't care. They don't care. I do love the idea of much like a rally race or something there would be people on either side of the great road just watching this go by <laughs> just <laughs> oh yeah there's definitely some bystanders trying to sell like souvenirs and stuff little pieces plushy of, modrons and stuff pieces of fallen modrons that like are broken on the ground and stuff sure yeah whatever goes right let's talk about some general abilities and stats that mo- all modrons have okay well first off they're all constructs yep Construct traits, whatever that means in your version of the game you're playing, right? Sure. Now, this one's interesting. They have no sense of smell or taste in some books. Yep. In most books, actually. Yeah. That that could be wild. But they have true sight. Yeah. All of them have true sight, which is ridiculous. So they're basically auditory and visual, and that's it. No olfactory, no taste. We don't know about touch. No one ever said anything. So if the bard wants to sex up a Modron. Now, there are uh, clockwork soul sorcerers. That's a good point. So. Gotta come from somewhere. Just, you know. Like the slot, they are immune to energy from the positive and negative energy planes. And, of course, any magic that draws upon those planes. Right. They're also immune to mind affecting, which makes sense for a construct. construct, yeah. Even though they're intelligent, which I'm a little iffy on. Uh, they're immune to emotion affecting magic. They now, do not get more happy sense. or sad. Right. It does not compute. They're also resistant to acid, fire, and cold. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about the base Modrons first, and then we'll get to the hierarchs in a second. Uh, just This is just the Cliff Notes version, folks, because we're not going to be here all night. Yeah, we're, this is not going to be a three-hour episode. We're, we're going to rip through these relatively simply and quickly. So let's first off talk about the simplest ones, the monodrones. Now, we mentioned these earlier. They're spheres. Right. There's 300 plus million of these things, and they they look like a sphere with arms, right? Arms, legs, and they got some wings. They got a central eye, cute little kissable mouth. I'm just All saying. Right. Got nice looking lips. They could do one task at a time, just one, and they can only communicate in a single message of 48 words or less. And in some drawings slash writings that communication was ticker taped out of their mouth yes well i in my game it was always ticker taped because they were just you know do this one thing which means they cannot concentrate on anything else if they're doing one task they can observe and then do something else yeah but they cannot observe and do something they can't chew bubble gum and walk at the same time it doesn't work they are a mono drone Yes. Now, duo drones. They, they're like, what, 55 plus million of them. Yes. And I'm sure it's a very specific number. We only know that it's 55 plus million. They are basically two blocks with arms and legs and wings, a central eye, and a mouth. And older books, they, as you mentioned, they look like a two by four. And with the arms of, and legs and wings, yeah. Right. And then, some of the newer ones, they, like you said, look like an accordion. Yeah. Now, they're capable of two tasks at a time. They, they could also communicate normally, right? They had a, the full range of communication in Modron. Yes, which sounds like gears screeching and, I don't know, it sounds like a, you know, a 14-4 modem. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, they also had dark vision to yes. go with their true sight. Yes, and uh, it should be specified, most of the older stuff said infravision and ultravision. Yes. As you move up the ranks, 
And for the purposes of tonight's episode, they've got Dark Vision because right. no one's playing first edition. Guys, if you're playing first edition, cool. Hit us up. We'll, you know, update that we'll on the clarify. site or something. Yeah, we'll clarify. Or just go look it up yourself. They were in charge of supervising monodrones. Right. They're middle management. So they're task one, supervise monodrones, task two, whatever else. Yep. Uh, interestingly enough, they were, because of that, they were given only one task normally so that they could use the second task to block out for anything unforeseen. If you can only do two things, only slot one of them so that you can react. Yeah. Now, what are tri-drones, Matt? There's six plus million of those. They look like an upside-down tetrahedron. Yes. Upside-down pyramid. Yep. Each side had an eye, an arm, and two legs. Yes. So, six legs, if you're doing the math. They could see infrared, ultraviolet, out to 90 feet. So, again, 5E folks, dark vision, 90 feet. Sure. They could do three tasks at a time. Surprise. Which <laughs> means, by the way, for those playing the home game, that means they could do three attacks around. Yes. Just kind of put that into perspective when we get to the quadrones and such, because that means quadrones can do four attacks. Pentadrones can do five attacks. And they never specified, but I tend to be of the opinion that each one of these has been giving given X number of jobs minus one for the necessary reaction. Yes. But one of those jobs is always look out or look, uh, observe the ones above them or mm -hmm. below them. Take orders from the ones above them. Right. Uh, now, tri-drones led lesser groups of modrons into battle. So they were basically fighters, right? They had yes. javelins. They would throw them. It was kind of cool. What's a quadrone, Matt? Well, there's 1.5 million of those. Mm -hmm. Plus, that's very important because we don't have exact numbers for the big ones. They look like cubes. Simple. Six-sided. They're cubes, right? Yep. Two arms, two legs, wings, two eyes, and a mouth. The game books suggest that they had sensory organs on all six sides, but the artist never actually bothered to draw it that way. Yeah, I've never seen a quadrant that actually had the eyes on each side. Right. Uh, I haven't looked really hard, but that, I thought that was interesting. They had 180-foot dark vision, quote-unquote. Fantastic. You gotta love that. And as we mentioned, four simultaneous tasks at once. An example of that might be report actions or observations devise plans, react to situations, and act in accordance to solve these situations. They were uh, typically portrayed as having bows. They were like, they look kind of like a box version of a cherub. Just, yeah. Because they had the wings and everything like sure. that. Hit you with the arrow of law, and you will do nothing except by the rules. And in the Planescape artwork, they were, in fact, adorable. They were cute, yeah. They supervised groups of Modrons, as well as performed like labor-intensive services and stuff like that. They also acted as field officers when they were fighting. Sure. And finally, we've come to the last of the base Modrons, the Pentadrone. Matt, what are those? There were 500k of those. Mm -hmm. They basically looked like a starfish with an eye and a mouth on each arm and five legs. Yes. So I want you to picture this. It looked, you had the, the legs, and it just kind of drooped over like a starfish resting on a bunch of stilts. Gotta love that. They also had 180 feet of dark vision and five simultaneous actions. Five attacks around. Mm-hmm. Now, they favored unarmed combat. Surprising, because... Well, that's what I want to get beaten with, right, is a construct. That, that's gotta sting. <laughs> Beat to death by a starfish. Yep. A scowling starfish. They could also release a paralyzing gas and use it to levitate. Yes, they farted to fly, folks. They flumped. They flumped. And generally, they were uh, law enforcement and were said to be able to improvise, whatever that meant. Well, that's, considering none of the other ones were, that's important. That's true. So those are the base Modron stock. Now we're going to mix things up a little bit. And what do we have right now, Matt? We've got the question of the week. All right. So hit me. What's the question of the week? Modron time. All right. If you had a Modron spirit familiar, describe it for me. And what personality quirks would it have? 
My Modron Spirit Familiar. That's interesting. Uh, it would be a rogue Modron, Matt. Sure. Right, but if it, I've met you. That, yeah. But if it wasn't a rogue Modron, I would say it'd be something like, uh, what are the, the 23-sided polyhedrons and icocitragon, I yeah. believe is how it's pronounced. Be a 23-sided sure. die. Of course it would. Yeah. It would always end its sentences or my sentences with, and me. 23 and me? Sure. Sure. Just because I think it's funny. It would love Avogadro's number. And it would calculate every measurement to the nearest mole or molecular mass. Yeah, yeah. that That's a chemistry joke. Yes, it is. <laughs> what about you? What would your Modron spirit familiar be? Uh, I think I'd have a tetraconta-digon. That sounds right. Tetraconta-digon. What yeah. is that? Uh, it's 42-sided. Oh, very well. Life, the universe, and everything. Very well. Indeed. It's going to uh, provide towels for any occasion. Of course it would. And it's going to follow the rules. See, it's not a rogue. It's going to follow the rules of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Plains. So it never panics. Indeed. I love that. That's great. Of course, we're always interested to see what you have to say about the question of the week. And if you have a particular Modron spirit familiar, hit us up at Goblin's Corner on Twitter. And of course, you can also find us on all the social media channels, including Mastodon. Indeed. Now that we've handled the question of the week, let's talk about the hierarchs. Okay, so we've talked about the base Modron stock, and those are kind of like, let's say, the dumb computer robots, right? I keep, I keep expecting you to say to the base models. The base models? I mean, they basically are. They but... are, yeah. <laughs> All about that base. But now let's talk about hierarchs. Now, these are much more advanced Modrons, mm-hmm. and I find them much more interesting because they are capable of independent thought. They mm-hmm. can plan. They can talk to you. They can argue their case, right? They can cast spells. They can cast spells. <laughs> Speaking of which, let's talk about some of the base abilities all of them have. So what do they have all? All of them can do this. All hierarchs can cast clairaudience, clairvoyance, command, mm-hmm. dim door, teleport without error, wall of force, at will. Yes. At will. Now, that may have changed in some of the reprised editions. Sure. So look it up. But if not, that's pretty hella awesome. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I would take Wall of Force at will just because. Now, Planescape has been announced, so things may change when it's released. And it probably has. Let's talk about the Decatons. There's only 100 Decatons. Deca, of course. Meaning, yeah. Sure. Simple enough. And they looked after the physical welfare of the other Modrons. They were HR. Yeah. And mechanics. Yes. HR L- mechanics. HR mechanics. Love that. What did they look like, Matt? Well, they also were little spheres with stubby legs, but they had 10 tentacles and four eyes all evenly spaced around the perimeter of their spherical body. Yeah, and they had a mouth in the front. Right. They kind of looked like Tui from Little Shop of Horrors. If you had, like, imagine it, like, kind of stomping along like this and had this big old bulbous sphere with big old lips and just kind of these tentacles around in, like, a fringe. Sure. They were neat looking. They also were way bigger than the other Mojins, at least in the artwork. Gotcha. They were able to cure injuries and diseases from all Modrons within 144 foot and 12 foot, respectively. Yes. And I, and I want to say that we're going to rattle off some weird-ass numbers. Again, this is what we looked up. In older editions, one of the things they loved to play with was... Multiples th- of primes and stuff like that. Exactly. Yeah. Were things that felt random but had very specific reasons and meanings. Now, they could also heal and remove paralysis by physically touching another Modron, which is kind of neat. They would just be... Yep. Just like that. At telepathic communication, 44-mile radius. Yeah. And they could flump. Indeed. They could fart and fly via the gas. One Decaton was in charge of each of the 64 sectors of their realm, and the remaining served the Modron armies. Yeah, so they were definitely in a particular hierarchy. Now, Nonatons, there are 81 of them. Sure. And they acted as captains and chief inspectors of the Pentadrone police force. So they were basically police chiefs. And in my game, 
Ananatan would definitely have to have a cigar and drink whiskey. And probably have a cap. Yeah, there'd have to be a police cap for them. You gotta have a cap. They looked a little weird, too, because they were basically long cylinders. They had nine tentacles kind of mid-drift. Mm-hmm. So imagine a tube worm with long nine tentacles, had two legs at the bottom. Sure. Two eyes and mouths on opposite sides. Right. And they could see in all directions. And I like to think that it's two eyes and then two mouths. Like yeah, it's not I, a mouth under each eye. They're I like, I like that as well. Yeah, that would be kind of cool, right? Uh, they were able to, in addition to the spells we mentioned earlier, also duplicate the effects of detect uh, charm, detect evil, detect good, lies, ESP. They had mirror image. They could slow people and they could web people. All at will. All at will. Once per day, they could also cast power word stun. Sometimes if the perpetrator's running and they're faster than you, you tell them to freeze. They're going to catch a perp. Let me tell you something. <laughs> and they had 63 miles of telepathy. Of course they did. That's kind of cool, right? Yep. Matt, next up we had an octon. What is that? Well, there's 64 of them. Okay. And they were the governors of each of these 64 sectors of Mechanus. Okay. And uh, they they had an interesting look when compared to some of the other Modrons. Yeah, they looked really weird. They looked like, wagon, like a wagon wheel mm-hmm. with legs and eight tentacles on the wagon wheel. How's that work? A big old head. Great question. It, it, it was, it's, <laughs> yeah, go look them up. They're ridiculous looking. Now, what were their abilities, Matt? They were able to duplicate the effects of detect evil and good, haste, mm-hmm. telekinesis, and water walk spells. Interesting. Yep. Octons were also able to cast divine spells from the law, protection, and war domains. Sure. Because that's what you got to when you're a governor, I guess. (laughs) Governors are badass. They could also float or fly via the same fart mechanism that all the other ones could. They could float or fly and with the lift gas and also 80 miles, 80 miles of telepathy. Yeah, that's a big shouting match right there. (laughs) Hey, listen. Next up on the list were Septons. Mm -hmm. There were 49 of those, and they acted as officials who maintained the order and saw to all of the regulations being obeyed in Mechanus and technically throughout the realms. They traveled around as inspectors of work and records, and they were charged with the transferal of information from outlying areas to the various towers of the higher-ups. So basically, they were lore keepers. In a place where the the lore keepers and the record keepers were in very high regard. Now, they looked fairly interesting. They looked somewhat like a hairless humanoid, but they also had like this awesome neck collar. If you guys remember Baron Munchausen, the big mm-hmm. neck fringe thing. that uh, Very Shakespearean. Yeah, very Shakespearean, the neck collar. And it had uh, kind of looked like a gear, and it had seven arms on the neck collar. Sure. Like you do. Yeah. Septons were able to cast arcane spells as well as divine spells from the law, protection, and war domains. They can fly, just like all of the other ones. Fart fly, and they had 190-mile telepathy. You can shout a long way. Yeah. Tell me about Hextons, Matt. Well, there were 36 Hextons. Mm Mm-hmm. Hextons were the generals of the 36 Modron armies. One for each army. Imagine that. It's like there was a plan for it. You'd think. (laughs) They looked like humanoids with long arms and six-fingered hands. They had four tentacles that ended in sharp claws, and they also had wings. Yes, and it should be noted that they also, in some depictions, kind of had like an elongated face, like a kobold. Mm -hmm. They look kind of neat. They're still not as cute as the little cubic ones. Absolutely not. Now, Hextons were also able to cast arcane spells as well as divine spells from the law, protection, and war domains. Yep. It's like there's a theme. They could float slash fly. They did have wings, as well as a 216-mile telepathy. Very specific. Now we come to the Quintons. There are 25 Quintons. They acted as the bureau chiefs and record keepers of Mechanus. The super librarians. Super librarians, yeah. They all looked like heavyset humanoids with four arms and a prehensile tail, all of which sported a five-fingered hand. A little tail with a hand that grabs... Mm-hmm. That'd be cool, grabbing books, right? Yep. I want a tail with a five-fingered hand. Right. That'd be very useful. 
They had a pair of wings that resembled fans on their back, so it literally looked like a uh, like a fan that you would just kind of air yourself with. I love that, but the steampunk part of my brain had it be like a turbine. Oh, like a style fan, or something like that. Like, yeah. <laughs> Upon their forehead was a diamond symbol, which also was kind of like an indication of rank or something like that. Sure. And of course, like the other Modrons before them, they could cast the same type of divine spells from Law, Protection, and War. Interestingly enough, the Great Mojan March was generally led by a Quinton, who was their chief record keeper for the voyage. Hmm. That's, that is interesting. I like that. I do, too. We follow up Quintons with Quartons. Okay. How many Quartons we got? 16. Of course. They oversaw the operation of all of the bureaus, the sector governors, and army units attached to their region. Got a lot of duties there. They're very busy. Yes. They were 12-foot-tall humanoids with large fan-like wings and four arms with multiple joints. Yeah, they look kind of creepy looking. They look kind of like Slender Man with wings. I can see that. I was thinking like a less flexible Doc Ock. Oh, I like that as well. Now, Quartons were able to cast arcane spells as well as divine spells of you guessed it law protection and war how long was their telepathy matt a mere 405 miles that's a hell of a psionic shout we've come to the last two we've got the tertians there were nine of course three times three right they acted as judges they judged the sentencing of modrons and non-natives to mechanis mm-hmm. judges only nine of them existed uh, eight of them reported to the Secundi, which we'll get to in a second, and then the final one reported to Primus. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. So what do they look like anyway? Well, they look like 12-foot-tall humanoids. Sure. Much like the other ones. They had a prehensile tail, which acted as a third arm, uh, the tip of which had a little growth that was kind of like a mace, so I kind of see this third arm with like a hand and like a mace knuckle. And depending upon the books, they looked kind of weird. Sure. The Tertian had a ring of horns that encircled their hairless head. A little Darth Maul yeah, yeah, a little Darth Maul action. They appeared muscular and carved as if from dark onyx. Nice. Which is nice, yeah. They were able to cast arcane and divine spells from, you guessed it, law, protection, and war. And they had 405-mile telepathy. Fantastic. We've come to the final Mechanus resident, the Secundi. Tell me about the Secundi. Okay, there were... Four of them. Mm-hmm. They were very tall and thin humanoids with deep set eyes. Like uh, the guys from Dark City. They looked like the dudes from Dark City. Yeah. The Secundi were able to cast arcane spells as well as, of course, divine spells from law, protection, and war domains. They were second in power only to Primus. Yes. They were essentially the deities or demigods. So if you're looking at the chain, like the the further you get up to like the Tertians and and so forth, like they just got more powerful and more powerful. Each Secundus was a viceroy in charge of one of the four quarters of the realms of Mechanus. Yes. That is a huge swath of infinite size. Yeah. One fourth <laughs> of infinity? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. And they had a range of 420 mile telepathy. So those are the Modrons. Again, a lot of different casts, right? Sure. A lot of different stock-based Modrons, and then, of course, the hierarchs. What I'm interested in particularly, though, is the behavior of the Modrons, because playing a Modron should be vastly different from playing other types of creatures in the game. Absolutely. Now, you found a phrase that you felt like really summed up this concept best. What was it? It was on the wiki. So it is, we are the ultimate law. All other law is tainted when compared to us. We are order. All other order disappears when held to our light. We are structure. All other structure crumbles when brought against us. We are perfect law. And there you go. A little little shiver down your spine (laughs) when you hear that. It's pretty awesome, right? GMs play with them as scions of law. So Matt, what does that mean in terms of behavior? One of the things you're going to have to recognize is that they're going to have a somewhat alien mindset. Yes, they are not humans. 
Right. They do not think like humans or humanoids. They don't even think like demons or angels. No, because they react without emotion because everything is law-driven, rules-driven. So they're going to be more computer-like. Yeah, and I think that's a good starting point to play a Modron. Make them computer-like. Now, as they get more sophisticated, you can play advanced algorithms or whatever if you want to in your head. But I think it's a good like behavioral starting point to make them logical, make them orderly, make them kind of think in terms of procedural ways. Right. Now, Input, one, output driven. Yeah, very much so. Now, Modrons, interestingly enough, were also only aware of other Modrons up to one rank higher than they. Sure. Although all of them were like cognizant of Primus. Right. And this is a really interesting behavioral viewpoint. So I'll give you an example. So a Duodrone, right? Mm-hmm. Duodrone's two. It recognizes the, mo- the monodrone underneath it because it can give it orders. It recognizes the tridrone above it, which gives it orders. Anything above the tridrone, it just thinks it's a more powerful tridrone. Sure. So if a quadrone rolls up or a secundi, it just goes, huh, that's an interesting looking tridrone. It doesn't recognize anything above that. That also could technically apply to the hierarchs. Sure. Which I think is really kind of fascinating to see how they absolutely view their worldview. And from a story perspective, play out how the Modrons view their version of world. We've mentioned this before. They are the scions of absolute law. Okay. What are we talking about when, in terms of behavior when we talk about that? In most games, players are at the very most vaguely aware of the concept of law and order. When you use Modrons in your game, you have to keep mindful that they are lawful, but not necessarily stupid. Yes. They're not dumb. So when you are role-playing a Modron, they can be methodical. They can be by the book. They work within the exact wording of something. Absolutely. Yeah. Play them methodical. Play them by the book. And that's kind of fun if you're good at doing that as well to kind of twist the wording of something that a PC might say. They intrinsically work together as well. Yeah. They work as one and they are very, very dangerous coordinated. So when you're playing them, play them as coordinated. Play them if there's more than a couple of them, then they are well-informed because whatever a couple of them know, they report back. Right. And they have telepathy, some of which are at very huge ranges. Yes. And that means they always have a backup plan if they're ordered around by, say, a hierarch. One of the other things to keep in mind is they, they don't suffer from individuality. Right. So the, the great thing about that is when you say that they work as one, they work together. In a zombie apocalypse, what is frightening isn't a zombie. It is a multitude of them. Now make those zombies intelligent and tactical because they're not worried about the self-ending, right? They're only worried about the execution of the order they've been given. Yeah, because they know they were upgraded from something else. Right. Like if you have a tri-drone walking around, it knows it used to be a duo-drone. Right. And so it knows that at some point, if somebody else dies above it, it's going to get upgraded as a quadrone. Or if it dies, it'll just go back into the pile and be reincarnated as something else. Sure. So that kind of makes them fearless in many ways. Absolutely. Especially the monodrones, who yeah. literally have nothing to lose. Well, they don't have enough brains to really think of anyone well, except one thing too. at a time anyway. So what makes these things interesting if all of that didn't already make them interesting, Matt? Well, individually... Obviously, they're really only as good as their number of sides. Yes. Because that's what they can think about, how many actions they can take, all of that. I find that to be an interesting concept. They're lawful, they're alien, and they're absolute. They're also multiple hierarchies of lawful robots, basically. Mm-hmm. And of course, they come with a lot of fun story options to either work against or for your players. Sure. But before we get to the story options... We're going to talk about maybe 
upgrading your standard issue Modrin like we are fond of doing. Now, how could you upgrade a Modrin? They're already kind of very set in stone. Well, for one thing, we're going to give them some more shapes and other abilities. Okay. There's no reason to say you can't add another shape. Yeah. And in fact, I would say you should add more shapes in your game. Keep your players on your toes a bit. Primus is always experimenting with new things as reality changes. I mean, that's what the great Modrin March is, right? Sure. Just intel gathering. Quite possibly. Quite possibly. Maybe he comes back and is like, you know what? I need a, I need a 13-sided Modrin now. Make a 13-sided Modrin. Yep. When in doubt, add another prime number to the mix. Place it in the hierarchy. A 13-sided Modrin. There you go. Right? <laughs> 13, 17, all sorts of prime numbers in the world. You could even just square something, right? Sure. Another option is rogue Modrins for fun and profit. I love rogue Modrins. I am aware. They are so much fun. Imagine a Modron that has just gone crazy because it now understands the concept of free will. What is it capable of? It probably is still going to be lawful. What if a Modron has had its telepathy removed? Like it was it was pulled out of the hive mind. Mm-hmm. It still was created to do certain things. It's still going to have certain thought patterns. It may tr- be trying to get back to the hive mind, right? There's... Man, it wants to go back into the Matrix. Yeah. So you can have a lot of fun with that. Yeah. I, I, I could just see a rogue Modron wandering around organizing everything. It'd be a lot of fun to play. You could give them class levels as well. Of course. So here are a couple class levels we think would work really good with Modrons. First off, wizard would be great. Yeah. It's the laws of the universe. Yes. Yeah. how magic works. Clerics. Clerics would also be good because they, they know, they literally, Primus is just hanging out. Right. In Mechanus. Straight chilling. Just stomping around. Stomping around. Doing whatever Promise does, right? I am the one. That's the only thing I think of. He's Neo. Think about that. That's great. And make Promise look like Neo. Sure. Matrix. <laughs> that would be an awesome D20 or modern. Like Jet Li. Oh, yeah. From the, yeah. From the one. Just fighting everything <laughs> else on the mountain. I love that as well. Speaking of fighting, make them fighters. Sure. Give them some fighter levels. You really want a badass pentadrone? Beat cop, pe- pentadrone beat cop, just walking down the street with his five legs. He's got a starfish and he's got a little cop hat. Sure. Like five billy clubs, busting ass. Yeah. Paladins, right? They're, they're based off of oaths, depending on what the oath happens to be. Makes perfect sense. Oath of absolute law. Yep. And one final one, Ranger, which you added, which I think is an interesting take. My theory on Ranger is based somewhat around the Great March and the fact that we know that Mojans are sent out to other places to observe, to look around, and stuff like that. They're not going to be rogues. They're lawful and orderly. They're going to be scouts. They're going to be scouts. I love that idea. You know what would be great would be a quadrone because they've got the bows. Sure. Make them a Ranger. That'd be kind of neat. One thing you could do as a storyteller is to upgrade their influence on the multiverse. Now, this is all upgrades for Motrins, but it's mostly story-related stuff, right? Sure. So, for example, remember that they started the war before the Blood War. Like, Primus stomped into chaos and started mashing shit up. Yeah, throwing elbows and... Yeah, tossing tossing some order into into Limbo, creating the Spawning Stone. Making a bunch of delightful slod with party hats and mallets, and they just started wrecking shit, right? Something else you can do is give them a mission to fulfill, like as an entire species, as a group. Yeah. Every Mojin has something to do. Right. So when you're playing a Mojin, it, if it's not in Mechanus, or even if it is, but if it's maybe like wandering around the multiverse, it probably is on a mission of some sort to do something, unless it's rogue. Right. Have them provide... Banes or boons to your players. Which would be a lot of fun. Can you imagine like a Secundi or some other uh, high-level hierarch kind of granting warlock abilities to a particular war? What kind of warlock would that be? Very lawful warlock. That would be the the Pact of the Lawyer. Well, my thing, it's actually something that I've always thought made more sense in a lot of cases is... You should have lawful warlocks. They 
you're literally writing a pact with a creature. Sure. It only makes sense to me. Yeah. Pact of the lawyer. Be great. You could also have them weld influence over other creatures of the multiverse. Remember, they are scions of law, which means they know contracts probably better than devils. Sure. There's nothing to say that you've got this Mojan walking around and all of a sudden the parties roll up on it and it just pulls out something. You owe me. I choose you, Pikachu. And then this monster pops out because it owed the Mojan a favor. Sure. <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> they're thinking they're going to wreck this Mojan and it just all of a sudden summons a like a devil or something like that. And the devil looks around and is like, well, I guess I got to work for you. A little duo drone that just happened to be in the right place at the right time. That would be hilarious. Sure. Finally, you can give them what, Matt? You can give them alternate powers. Okay. And we would suggest that these powers kind of fall in line, again, with the story, right? So if they're on a mission, what could you give them? Shape change. They may need to blend into certain places. Yeah, it's not on the list, but it's something that makes sense, particularly if you're a hierarch and you're trying to infiltrate like a prime material world. Sure. You can also have them reinforce the laws of the multiverse physically. What do we mean by that? So if a group of Modrons have been in a place long enough, maybe they get lair actions. Or maybe whoever's in charge gets legendary actions. Every time I roll a dice, it comes up the average every single time. Yep. I'm just taking tens. Or eleven. I break a glass, it always shatters into exact pieces. Yeah. That would be kind of, that'd be a cool story option. You could also have them influence other constructs as well, which could mean either just influencing them to do lawful things or literally command or control them. Sure. So you're in the dungeon. You're rolling up. It's guarded by a quadrone. Just chilling, right? Do what quadrones do. It fires a couple bow shots at you, but then it kind of looks around and it, it goes, kill him. And the iron golem peels itself from the iron wall and begins to iron smash you. I like the theory that Primus made the go- the original Golem manuals. Oh, that's a cool idea. And at the end of the day, he has root access. <laughs> He's hacking them. To all Golems. <laughs> that's so cool. I love that. I didn't think about that. Because everything he makes are constructs, and they're, they've only gotten better, right? Even like the they inevitables, are, yeah. Yeah, they're all evolving. They're all getting better. And so, yeah, the first golems were literally just like trial runs for bodies for the constructs that he was going to make with intelligence. Meanwhile, the like the newest ones are like Ghost in the Shell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great idea. We mentioned story options. Matt, we've got a couple story options that you can use to interject Modrons and the rules of mechanics into your game. Uh, the first one, I love this idea. A lawyer in the party city has gone missing. <gasps> Oh no, a lawyer's gone? Would anybody even know? Players find strange footprints and a small cog. Why have the Modrons kidnapped the lawyer? Who knows? Who knows, right? For the players to find out. This is definitely one of those situations (laughs) where I would throw out a bunch of loose ends, wait for the players to come up with a reason why this Modrons we're kidnapping them. And that's the reason. And then just literally write that Reel in. Reel them in. Yep. Yep. A Quinton will provide a boon for players to return a stolen record. Yep. They're record keepers. Yep. Record got stolen. Go return it. Stuff for money, right? A group of Modrons has gone rogue. <gasps> there it is. Why did they go rogue? Could be anything. Indeed. But a group. That means they're still going to work together. They've just gone rogue together. Yeah. A little merry band of... <laughs> Modrons learning about the world. A damaged Modron seeks to be returned to their group. How hard is it to return? Maybe they it gets assimilated, or maybe it just gets murdered. Sure. A hierarch Modron has died, but its essence has been trapped in a magic jar. The magic jar spell? Sure. Thus preventing it from returning to Mechanis and reforming. Remember, when they die, they either reform and another one gets promoted. Right. That means... Nothing can be promoted in its place. So, right, because if it hasn't gone back, the, the system doesn't know there's a need for promotion. Which is a really awesome story, which we mentioned before we recorded, of like an assassin just kind of offing hierarchs. Yeah, just literally keeping a stack of them, right? Like just a bag full of gems because Mechanus slowly loses power. 
if you do it that way. Which is really cool. That's mm-hmm. a great story option. A mysterious spirit is cleaning and organizing shops all over town at night while the city sleeps. It's a monodrone just doing one thing at a time. Sure. <laughs> a Hexton is recruiting mercenaries for a well-paying job of unspecified hazard. Do the players take the money and trust it? No, do you absolutely trust, not. No, don't trust no. a Hexton. Don't do it. I don't, I don't trust anybody who's paying me well for unspecified danger. <laughs> Objects in a town keep disappearing and then reappearing a day later. Sometimes several objects will go missing at once. It's just a monodrone cataloging the town. That's kind of neat. They're just cataloging everything in the town. Why are they doing it? A mysterious stranger has hired the character to delay an unspecified procession for an amount of time. But the longer they delay, the more they get paid. And it ends up being agents of chaos are attempting to play around with the great Modron March. There's a lot of potential in that. But this is definitely something you pitch to higher level players. Yes. Low level players would just get absolutely mowed because literally nothing stops the procession. That's one of the things about the Great March. But that would be kind of fun to try to stop the procession. Absolutely. I would love that. Players encounter a Modron ghost, something that previously has never existed. How do they react to that? Casper the friendly ghost in the machine. Yeah. Sure. Kind of crazy. And finally, the great Modron March has shifted. Players must solve the mystery why. Did Primus get a wild hair up his ass and decide to change things up? Or is there some kind of ulterior motive? If I were Primus, if it's year, what, 288, 89, whatever it is, everybody knows that the great Modron March is coming, right? So I send out everybody and there's a deviation. Oh, this is weird. No, we're marching to war, but nobody knows it yet. Promise pulled a flex move. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so there you have it. Some lore, a little bit of the abilities, some story options, and of course the behaviors and how to play and interject Modrons into your campaign. I feel like they're super interesting and there's a lot of ways that you can play around with them in really any game. Yeah, and it's a logical thing to do, my friends. Any questions or comments, hit us up at Goblin's Corner on Twitter. Did you enjoy this podcast? We hope so. Subscribe to the show on your favorite player, YouTube and Twitch. Click the five stars, give us a review on iTunes and Podchaser, and on YouTube, hit the like and subscribe button. Also hit the notification bell so that you get notified. It helps get our show in front of more people. It boosts the show and feeds the hungry algorithm. Which is currently flapping up to you with a stomping of gears and oil and demanding to see your last year's tax return. It's preparing for an audit. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> That's all the time we have for tonight. Once again, my name is Eric. And I'm Matt. We'll see you next time. Good night, folks. Goblin's Corner is written and produced by Eric Holden and Matt Staples. Show song by the mighty D20. Don't we love that guy? Sure. This is a subterranean production.